I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories about the weather. And this is now our seventh special episode concentrating on the relationship with the weather and climate in our fight against COVID-19, focusing on the United States, but with an eye to the world. In the last week, areas of the world which had some of the earliest waves of cases and deaths, like China and Italy, those areas that were under lockdown first have started coming back into normalcy. Meanwhile, here in the United States, there is growing debate on whether some of our states and areas are coming back online too fast, or whether the need to regain as much of the economic steam the United States had before the pandemic struck can be balanced with the ability to identify, manage, and treat the virus in anticipation of any potential vaccines. The uncertainty and the volatility of the politics, opinions, and rapidly changing information about COVID-19 is only matched by the volatility and uncertainty in the international and financial markets of the United States. And the weather across the United States has also had its share of division and volatility, but will certainly try to take away some of the uncertainty. As we record this week's podcast, just as we are heading into Mother's Day weekend, the nation will have to endure searing southwestern heat, and the Northeast will be dealing with record cold and the likelihood that snow will appear with some accumulations likely in at least the higher elevations of parts of the northeast into New England. And we'll also see a storm that could bring rain to the deep south of Texas at the start of the weekend and potentially get stronger over the Gulf, get into Florida with heavy rain and thunder on Sunday. Why is summer off to an early start in the southwest? And when can we at least get back to consistent spring weather in the Great Lakes? And what does all of this upheaval say about the upcoming summer months? Well, Senior Meteorologist and Chief Long-Range Forecaster Paul Pastelock will join me as we try to sort out the thoughts about the summer with more emphasis on the potential for more just staycations as summer gets closer. Then on this week's Everything Under the Sun, we had such a great reaction to last week's talk with Mariah Green about indoor plants. We thought we'd follow up with a little more on that subject with Ryan Lee from Rooted.NYC and getting a little more in-depth on the benefits that plants have to clean our air as we get into the 14th Annual Air Quality Awareness Week. And finally, as we become increasingly aware of vast differences in the way we all are dealing with this, from region to region, between family and friends, we will talk to licensed psychologist Dr. Eric Fisher about how we can all deal with this continued uncertainty. We don't know the end dates on a lot of things we'd like to And it seems like that situation can flip from one minute, one hour, and one day to the next. All of that and more coming up in this week's edition of Everything Under the Sun. So let's get right to our conversation about the weather, past, present, and future with AccuWeather's chief long-range forecaster, Paul Pastelock. 
So, Paul, I've been actually really looking forward to this discussion because one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about before we dive into the summer forecast was talking about the reality of the last couple of weeks and this next couple of weeks where winter has really just hung over into uh, spring here. Uh, you know, and it reminds me, and I use that term actually targeted because you used that terminology in the spring forecast when we talked about it several weeks ago that there was going to be a winter hangover, but it seems like this winter's hangover has been a little bit longer and a little bit worse than we may have thought a few weeks ago. Exactly, Dean. Uh, the hangover uh, just continues to go on uh, an extra few days, or maybe in this case, uh, maybe a few weeks. We kind of saw this all the way back in September. The upper levels of the atmosphere weren't going to link up very well for us in the wintertime that gave us a big cold winter in the east. Or, you know, we thought there could be snow, but we weren't sure when it would come more later in the, in the winter and not early. The problem was is that everything came together about a month late. And so the hangover extended a month later into the latter part of spring instead of ending in the early to mid-spring. And we're seeing the effects of it. If this was in January... We'd be talking about freezing temperatures down to the Gulf Coast and snowstorms and frigid temperatures all the way in the Northeast. Uh, but this is the modified sense of what we thought would happen late winter, early spring has just been delayed. And I think the what I've been saying in some of my discussions uh, with the radio stations that I'm on is that it's almost like we flipped March and April. We got a lot of April-ish and early May weather even back February into March, and then it just flipped, and we got some February and Marchish weather in April, and we're getting that into this first few weeks of May when we're actually going to deal with looks like some interior snow in New England as we come up with this upcoming weekend and the uh, threat of some freezing temperatures for folks who may have some plants in the ground in parts of the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. That's right, Dean. I mean, we it's not like we haven't seen something like this before. We have gone through this before, but the problem is, is that the situation that we're all in, everybody is at home. Everyone's anxious to get outside. And when you have to see a snowstorm in the second week of May, it really doesn't feel good uh, being outside. I mean, uh, you know, the kids might like it, but you're not going to get much snow to lay on the ground. Try being someone who has to communicate that. I'm actually glad that uh, this week leading up to this, I'm not doing as much radio this week uh, because uh, you are the bad, bad guy on the radio telling people that there may be snow in May. I was a good guy last weekend. I'm a bad guy this weekend. That's basically how it works. Here, I, so. I know the feeling. So, yeah. So, you know, I think then from that, what I always get from the next piece in the puzzle when we're talking about long range forecasting is, well, if we're getting this, does get this. In other words, if we're going to be so cold here in the Northeast here over the next couple of weeks, does that mean it's going to heat up and be an extremely hot summer or where we're seeing extremely hot weather in the southwestern part of the United States this upcoming weekend into the early part of next week. Does that mean it's going to be cooler and yuckier than average this summer? So is that analogy something that we can bank on on a yearly basis? Or are there certain years we look at those kinds of teleconnection or those kinds of connections, those kinds of things? Talk us through that. Well, I think that you see is a lot of times when you get into a pattern, you can lock in. So if it starts late, in a season, most times it'll hang over into the next season. I mean, it's not all the time classic textbook that way, but it can happen. What we saw is that the second half of the spring is ending up being 
much cooler, chillier. We're getting our winter type weather in the second half of spring, unfortunately. We do feel this kind of pattern does hang into early June. Of course, June is much different than uh, March and April. Temperatures will be a little bit hesitant to warm up too fast, but we do feel that it will heat up. We think the second half of summer will heat up in the Northeast, and so there's a little bit of a hangover, a little slowness, a little patience that's going to be needed for that heat to really start going up. Meanwhile, we got a little early start in the Southwest. We got a touch of summer heat already, despite even having, which was this makes it a little different, despite having a pattern that actually looked like a winter pattern in Southern California late in the spring here, it flipped right away. So you right. can get two sides of the coin here on that kind of situation, Dean. You used a word that I want to talk about for a few seconds here before we get into, again, this. Um, we're talking with Paul Pasolak, probably <laughs> the most unenviable job at AccuWeather because we have to deal with the uncertainty of the modeling on a given day and a given two-day, three-day, four-day, five-day period, which for those of us that deal with that, that's a ton of uncertainty. And that's a ton of just kind of getting the pattern feel right and those kinds of things that make you most successful. Now, Paul, extend that out three, four, five, six months. And that's where Paul and his team of our long-range forecasters do an amazing job. And, you know, it's just, it's just hard. But, you, okay, so the word is flip. And that's the way I think our new climate, if you want to use that general term, and I know that will open up a can of worms in certain people about uh, the, the climate change, and I'm not even going to go there. But the climate that we're in now, and I'm a believer in pattern, and as you are, and we're in a, to me, a multi-decadal pattern where we're right in the middle of a, where it's flipping. It's just not an ease in and ease out of seasons anymore. It's just these flips. We flip and then we flip back and forth in that transitional zone between uh, winter and summer. We flip a couple of times and then we get into the summer and lock in for a few months. And then we flip flap and back. Is, is, does that make sense to you? Is that the pattern that at least I'm sensing as someone at least living in the northeastern part of the United States? You hit it right on the nose because it's like, it's not just in the eastern, it's in, it's in other parts of the country. We do month-to-month forecasts along with seasonal forecasts. And our month-to-month forecasts have been very, very difficult because things just don't work. The calendar doesn't abide by what the weather pattern wants to be the whole month. So, like, if you're forecasting uh, plus two degrees in in New York City for the month uh, above normal temperatures for uh, New York City in the month of April, you get one week that it's like minus 10, minus 15, boom, there goes your forecast for plus two. It's pretty hard to come back to, especially when there's overlapping going on. And that's what we've been seeing. Seasons overlapping, months overlapping, very challenging forecasts over the last couple of years. These cycles that you talked about, they come and go. The, the, the research of cycles that were supposed to be 25, 30 years have been shortened and something's been causing that. I mean, I'm not going to get into the debate of climate change, but I think it has had something to do with it. I think it's shortened some cycles and it's caused variations, variability in the forecast that we make in the long range. Very challenging right now. Then becomes the next level discussion that, again, we're not getting into here, which is whether man has really accelerated that or hindered that or it had an effect or these were going to be natural cycle changes that we saw. And that's that's where it is. But I think as uh, someone who's looking at long range, you just have to evaluate the current cycle 
that you are in. So let's now transition that here as we have the last few minutes of our conversation. We're talking with Paul Pasolak, our expert senior meteorologist, our lead long-range forecaster with an amazing team of folks who work very hard uh, to try to come up with this great information. So as I look at the general map, as someone would be looking at AccuWeather.com and our summer forecast story, and you can find it on AccuWeather.com, just search uh, 2020 summer forecast. Uh, Here are the highlights. Turning very warm from the Great Lakes, WWJ land for me, over to New York City and 1010 Winds and up to Boston, WBZ, and all the folks in between. Uh, the southeastern part of the country, back to about the uh, St. Louis area, down to Texas, uh, KMOX, uh, KTSA, some of our great radio stations all the way over, and uh, our uh, great partners and media partners into uh, Florida. Muggy thunderstorms. Florida's just kind of showery in the northern half. Cooler, less humid, a block of that from the Dakotas down uh, along the plains there to about Kansas. Uh, And then a hot stretch from West Texas all the way through the Four Corners, the southern half of the Four Corners, southern Utah, southern California, dry, hot wildfires up in the interior parts of the Pacific Northwest away from the coast and back through Idaho, dry in the western plains and the uh, Intermountain West there. Did I capture all of those highlights, Mr. Pastelot? You did. And the key is when we say turning very warm in the Northeast and Great Lakes, Understand, don't forget the turning because, again, we still have some ups and downs in temperatures all the way into June. There'll be some cool downs, less humid conditions for a time that will keep your nights down a little bit. And then it looks like later in July and August look like the hotter periods that come in, more sustained hotter periods for the Northeast Ohio Valley and Great Lakes area. So Northeast, uh, we're looking at maybe again a rocky and volatile start to summer in terms of the some some temperature swings, and usually those kind of temperature swings produce some uh, precipitative events, spin up some storms or some you know, and then or convective showers and thunderstorms with the differing air masses trying to interact. So turning warm, but a, a rocky period at the start, but then maybe a very warm late summer and maybe early fall. You said it, Dean, right. The tran- there's a transition there, too. And we have kind of highlighted for severe weather on a separate map that the Mid-Atlantic could be very volatile in uh, July. Usually severe weather starts to kind of ease back a little bit. It's just your random showers and storms. But we're concerned about places like Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia. That corridor in the transition in July could be very active. And then so the leading edge of that muggy, warm, humid air is in those zones as you get into the early part of summer. But they're going to be throughout this summer that muggy thunderstorms of repeated events. MCS is an area, a term you're going to hear a lot of this summer. These mesoconvective scale systems, uh, they're basically their own sets of thunderstorms that create their own little area of low pressure that then can form massive amounts of thunderstorms that can be strong to severe, continue in the overnight to early mornings. That's going to be uh, something we're going to see this summer. Yeah. And the thing is about the uh, MCS or MCC season is that it looks like it starts a little later, thanks to the fact that we have all this cool, stable air that's going to be sticking around in the plain states. Usually you start to see that developing in May and then continuing farther north and east in June and July. Those folks in the, in the northern plains in the Midwest, they may see a little less and they count on that sometimes for their precipitation for the farming and everything. So they may be down a little bit on precip on the northern extent of that, but lower Midwest and Ohio Valley, I think they do okay. 
So the upper plains that you have in the cooler, less humid, that's also would tend to be drier than average, right? So is that going to be an issue for crops in those areas? As yeah, well, the latest models have it coming, some moisture coming up into Wisconsin and parts of Iowa, uh, but they don't have a whole lot getting farther north into Dakota. So there's going to be a fine line there where, you know, it may not, they can't kind of keep missing on events. They keep passing to their south. And that's what we're concerned about. And that could be a problem. You know, they have a front side problem because it's going to be cool and there's some flooding around the Red River North going on at the present time. And then you got to get it in, get the planning in. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're hit with hardly any rainfall, sustained rainfall. So there may be some issues up there during the course of the season that we have to watch out for. All right, then, Paul, as we talked about flips earlier, what a flip for the Pacific Northwest, how stormy they were throughout most of the winter. Now, that started to flip towards the latter part of the winter and early part of the spring. But now we're going to go from storminess to dry, hot wildfires. Is that really real? Yeah, we got a little bit of a slowdown on on that uh, start time because there is some moisture expected here in May from northern California and along the Pacific Northwest Coast. It'll get into northern Idaho as well. So those areas a little slower to dry out. But interior sections actually missed out on a lot of the big systems in the late winter spring. And so they're already drying. Uh, Places northeast of San Francisco are very dry right now. We do think this will increase as we go in time here, and it's going to be a big problem. I think the biggest uh, problem as far as wildfires go and as coverage could be anywhere from northern California to the interior northwest this summer and the peak season coming in later into the summer uh, for those regions. So it looks bad. I mean, it looks like a very bad setup for them. It looks like they'll see heat. They'll see dryness. They'll see wildfires. Southern California, they kind of got that late uh, push of uh, moisture it's kind of held back their drought conditions, uh, at least the start time. But this latest heat that they saw, evaporation rates went up. And so there, there will be time before they start seeing some dry weather there and the drought starts to come on as well. How long has it been since we've seen the potential for this kind of uh, extended, hot, dry wildfire season? It's been a, uh, a, like four, five, six years. I just gauge on my yeah. trips out to Las Vegas and, and, and the timing and stuff. And I remember the uh, one year uh, having difficulty flying in because of the wildfires and we had to take circuitous routes and things. So it's been four or five years. So, uh, and it's going to be interesting because of America's fight with COVID-19, the, the country's fight. It, you need to bring a lot of folks to bear in a short amount of time in some of these situations with these high wildfire danger outbreaks. And that's going to be interesting to see how that goes here over the next several months. I think, again, our emergency people out in the West, be prepared. I mean, this is going to be a tough summer for them in early fall. They're going to be counted on to go in tough situations, not only dealing with the fire, but of course, like you said, the virus possibly still going on, uh, still issues there. The air quality could be just really bad by late summer, early fall in this region. And uh, it just, it doesn't look like a good setup, everything we keep saying. But the one grace would be is that we continue to see the possibility of coastal areas like Seattle and Portland being spared at times where they could get a little bit moisture in, a little bit of onshore flow. It's the interior sections that look a lot worse at this point. Paul, do you want to give out a shout out to some of your great team members, uh, the AccuWeather uh, Long Range team members who do such an amazing job with you in, in preparing these forecasts? Absolutely. I could not do this without the team that I put together almost, was it not 10 years ago? We continue to section off the country and, and, and variables. And I have experts in commodity and energy and drought and flooding. We all get together in a meeting. We put all this stuff together. If it wasn't for several eyes looking at this forecast, 
it would be impossible to get all this information out to everybody. And they're they're a great team, very loyal, and uh, I really appreciate all the work they do. Paul Pastelock, uh, we look forward to checking in with you again soon on Everything Under the Sun as we get into summer and get a little closer, maybe some updates as we get closer. Absolutely. A reminder that you can see all the results of the hard work of our AccuWeather long-range team on many of the stories you read on our AccuWeather.com website, on the AccuWeather network, and on your AccuWeather app on your mobile devices. And we even have some long-range podcasts available at AccuWeather.com slash podcast. Friends, this is the 14th annual Air Quality Awareness Week, and we've had such a good response to our conversation last episode with Mariah Green about houseplants. We wanted to follow up with Ryan Lee of Rooted.nyc to ask a few more questions, specifically on how, for those that are still cooped up indoors the next few weeks, can help their indoor air quality with plants. That's next on Everything Under the Sun. Make AccuWeather Daily a part of your daily routine. Enable the flash briefing and say, Alexa, what's my flash briefing? To access this content on Google Assistant, all you have to say is, Hey Google, talk to AccuWeather Daily. You'll get the top trending weather story of the day, every day. This week marks the 14th annual Air Quality Awareness Week in partnership between NOAA's National Weather Service, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, also, the United States Forest Service and the United States Department of State, the Environmental Protection Agency, pleased to announce that Air Quality Awareness Week, May 4th through the 8th, and this theme this year is improving our nation's air. And while many folks can't get out to the places they would like to celebrate Air Quality Awareness Week, many of us are cooped up in our homes or small spaces, especially in urban areas, trying to get air quality up in our apartments and our small homes. Houseplants have been a major source of that, and we had such success last week talking to Mariah Green. We're going to talk to a friend of hers, Ryan Lee, from Rooted.nyc for some information about how you can make your small space more breathable. Ryan, it's really great to talk to you. You know, We talked to uh, Mariah last week and had such great uh, reaction to it, and this is being uh, Air Quality Week. I thought we'd talk a little bit more about plants, and I know we did a story on you and your great company, Rooted New York City or Rooted NYC. So, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on, Dean. Really appreciate it. I'm always happy to talk about plants, obviously. I love nature. And- so, uh, we know that uh, the process of photosynthesis uh, takes uh, carbon dioxide and creates oxygen. The plants uh, are part of the equation in our ecosystem about creating more oxygen. That certainly has been something fresh air when it's been hard to get naturally because of our fight against Mm -hmm. COVID-19. Plants have played a big role in that, especially in the urban setting. And that's kind of really helped Rooted NYC grow into a nationwide situation for for shipping and things like that, right? Absolutely. I mean, e-commerce is really the the only business model that any business can rely on right now. And uh, getting a good from one place to your front doorstep is highly valuable and, and plants are just like any other product. You do need them. Like you said, Dean, in absence of more time uh, that you could spend outdoors, it, we're all about bringing a little bit of the outdoors indoors. 
so that you can still enjoy that from, from the comfort of your own home. Is there any kind of formula, Ryan, when you look at how many plants to order for a certain square footage, like a typical, uh, let's say, um, kind of efficiency apartment in New York City, very small square footage, how many plants would you kind of tell folks to get to help with air quality within their small space? Dean, I know I'm going to sound like the, the biggest uh, you know, business owner marketing and trying to sell, but I'm, I'm truly not. The, the more plants you have in your space, the better. On average, the outdoors holds you know, anywhere between 350 and 400 parts per million of carbon in the air. And indoors, because of the lack of circulation or you know, maybe because of outdated HVAC systems um, and ventilation systems, those parts per million of carbon can actually average around 500 ppm or to the thousands. And that's what actually contributes to a lot of drowsiness, poor sleep, lack of ability to to function at the highest level that you can when you're inside. So that's why there's such an importance on even when you hear the CDC and the authorities talk about, hey, it's healthy to go outside and get some fresh air. That's because there are lower PPM amounts of carbon outside than inside, right? So now how do you flip that equation around? How do you uh, decrease the level of carbon in your home? And well, you can open the windows to kind of balance out that average. You can uh, invest in plants in your space, or you can probably get some sort of really expensive, uh, you know, high profile <laughs> ventilator or scientific way to, to get rid of it at, at scale. But, you know, barring all that, yes, the answer to uh, getting cleaner air inside your home is in investing in plants. Now, unfortunately, well, there isn't a, you know, 10 square feet equals one plant, but the more you have, the better it will be. Right. It, plants are a great balance between the, uh, the lack of, uh, ability for some people to actually open their windows or get as much fresh air as they would like versus uh, the, the the cost of an expensive mm-hmm. uh, mechanical system. So with anything good comes great responsibility. I think I've heard that kind of theme before. And owning plants is the same because, let's face it, actually people think, oh, it's your house. The environment is great. No, your house can actually be pretty detrimental to certain plants, depending on humidity. Mm -hmm. I don't don't want to get into specifics of that, but there is a responsibility to learn what kind of climate your your space has. And then also the other parts, your kids and your your animals and your pets, how they're going to react to any plants you bring in that space, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's just take the first part that you mentioned here, right? The climate of your indoors. Now that's really important. Um, and a lot of people actually don't mention it. So I appreciate that, Dean. If you think about plants and you think about succulents or cacti, those come from the desert, right? What kind of environment does a desert have? It's very low humidity. It's dry. It gets flash floods. So not a lot of water intake there, not a lot of humidity. Whereas if you take some of the tropical plants that come from the Amazon or parts of Southeast Asia, you can realize that they need much higher humidity. So when you think about bringing in certain types of plants to your place, you want to know okay, hey, if I want to position this plant, let's say over by the cedar, that's going to be on for half the year, let's make sure that it's uh, a cactus and not some big leafy green that's going to dry out because uh, of that heater. If I'm going to have a ton of tropical plants uh, in my bedroom because I want this lush jungle vibe that I saw in West Elm's catalog, mm-hmm. uh, then maybe it's important to invest in the humidifier. That's, that's part number one of what you were talking about. And I think the other critical part, uh, number two, is about thinking about your lifestyle, right? Your not just your children and your pets, right? You don't want to have cacti that can prick your pets and children if they're running around. Uh, there are certain plants that are toxic to animals if they are ingested and ones that are safe for, for pets. And so if you go onto the Rooted website, you can actually filter all of the plants by pet family or not. And I would just mention the, the last thing is, you know, if you are, let's say, a consultant or someone who travels a lot, uh, there are actually plants that you need to water once, sometimes twice a week. 
But then on the other end of the spectrum, there are plants that can survive weeks uh, or even a month without having to be watered again. And so you kind of want to strike this balance of, okay, based on my lifestyle, what kind of foliage can I bring inside? And thankfully, like I mentioned on the, on the Rooted website, at least, and, and most other plant-focused websites, uh, you could filter uh, based on those core, what would you call them, living properties, if you will. Right. So know your humidity levels, know your temperatures. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the city, I know there's a lot of um, heat that, you know, you assume that it's uh, baseboard heat and it's, it's, it might be a boiler and a steam heat, but it's actually can actually mm-hmm. dry your, your apartment out more than, than not. So yeah, it's all those kinds of things. That Absolutely. You yep. So yeah. Ryan, just quickly tell us about the website and how we can get in touch with you and how we can get some great plants from Rooted NYC into our homes across the world. Yeah, easy. You just go to rooted, R-O-O-T-E-D dot N-Y-C. You can browse over there. We have probably 50 to 70 variants of uh, plants that can fit any space. Again, based on your lifestyle, whether you have pets or children or if you travel a lot. I don't imagine a lot of people are doing that now. But, <laughs> you know, ideally in the future, if that changes, that'll be something important to keep your eye out on. You know, we ship nationwide and uh, all plants ship free. The whole reason why we got started as a business is because we wanted to reconnect people to nature. Our hypothesis is, hey, if we can give you a little bit of the outdoors and ship that straight to you, you're going to realize how incredible plants are, just the way they grow and how they don't stop. And again, the, the patience, and it's almost like a meditative zen feeling you get when you, when you take care of plants and grow them. If you realize how incredible that feeling is, then you will realize how incredible nature is and you'll treat our world a little bit better going forward. That's basically our guiding thesis and why we created Rooted. My partner, Kay, and I are both from uh, the West Coast and we grew up surrounded by nature. And so we just wanted to bring that feeling to the rest of the nation. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. So uh, it's pretty easy. Again, you just go to rooted.nyc, pick some plants. We have a very easy mystery box good for beginners that are low light plants there's four of them and it's 49 bucks and it's ships straight to your door ryan thank you so much for joining us uh we uh, enjoyed our conversation last week with mariah and i know you've partnered with your green piece and uh you and uh mariah that's been some great information the last couple of weeks and uh, we look forward to checking in again with you maybe in the future about more plant information thank you anytime Pete. thanks you can get more information from Ryan and his website at www.rooted.nyc. And also on Instagram, it has a, a place for plant memes, educational content, and fun visuals, at RootedNYC. And that's also their Twitter, at Rooted, R-O-O-T-E-D-N-Y-C. Thank you, Ryan. All right, friends, after this, our weekly visit with Dr. E. Eric Fisher's next on Everything Under the Sun. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather, gaining knowledge on terms like, what's a nor'easter? Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back. This is Everything Under the Sun, and this is our seventh episode in our special coronavirus series. And this is the sixth time we have a weekly visit from Dr. Eric Fisher, licensed psychologist, noted author, and also contributor on many of the news networks. It's time to talk to Dr. E about everything under the sun when it comes to uncertainty. 
So, Dr. E, uh, as we talked with uh, our lead long-range forecaster, Paul Pasolak, about summer, we also talking again about uh, this air quality week, planting and houseplants and thinking about gardening. And as I continue to try to keep it going out as much as possible, we're really setting up right now, as we talked about in the earlier segments, where we have very different realities in terms of weather. We've got amazing heat and uh, summer-like conditions in the southwestern part of the country. We are talking snow in May in some of the interior parts of the northeast and New England. So just big, big differences in the weather reality. And we also have big, big differences in the reality of how this coronavirus and COVID-19 is affecting different parts of the country. Some areas still almost like a war zone in terms of the fight and other areas feel like they could be almost back to normal. It's just tough to deal with all these just uh, dichotomies going on. Right. And, and in that, I think there's a lot of people when you have such cold weather, all these you know diverse weather, even within a week in a region or area, people want to seize the opportunity when they can to get out and enjoy sunshine and enjoy the warmth and try to do the things they want to do to start to plant things, which is going to drive them to their nurseries or to the home depots and the places where they get the plants. But also, if they're going out and enjoying, the issue we're running into is people aren't then observing those social distancing guidelines that are in place to protect us all. They're not observing the idea of wearing masks. And actually, now we're running into situations where we're starting to see violent acts occur around that. And again, I feel like this comes back to an issue of trust, an issue of entitlement, and an issue of defiance of things that we really need to see. We need to get through this together and work together on this, no matter where we're at in the country. It's balancing to me the big picture and the little picture. I understand. I understand the fears of some that we are losing liberties. But I also understand the fears of some that my exercising my liberty to get out and about could vastly affect whether they live or die. Now, the balance is struck in having the best and most up-to-date information, as we've talked about that in past episodes and how to deal with trying to sort out which is the best information. But again, as we continue to see um, you know, this differences, this dichotomy in how places are handling it, I think one of the pressures I think we're going to see here in the next coming weeks is people pressuring each other and their families that, hey, I can't stand the way this area that I'm in now is handling the virus. I want to go somewhere else where it's not as much a big of an issue. And that could become a, a real a hot button issue here coming in the next couple of weeks. Right. Or they're going to continue to pursue their own ideals of what they want to do and then say, hey, this part of the country has this as a freedom. What about me? Why can't we do that here? So then they start to potentially stir some issues in, the, in their region. So we, we, we want to be aware of how, again, can we work with what we're doing, work as communities and build the strength of communities how can we have consistent reports of, of the news and the information that's coming out? And it, 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 that's going to come down to trust. Who do we trust and who do we believe? And then how do I let my freedoms be expressed in ways that don't step on others? And then taking a step back to me, uh, I actually, I don't have a problem wearing the face covering out in public 
now, now with respect to if I'm out playing disc golf with my partner and there's nobody within 20 feet or going to be, or we'll take steps to make sure that I'm not going to necessarily wear it out in a park situation, but I don't, it actually gives me a sense of almost comfort and, and safety in terms of knowing that if I haven't, and right now for me here in the Northeast allergies, I mean, my spring allergies are starting to really hit hard. And so if I'm going to have a sneezing fit in the middle of a store, at least I'm hoping I'm in my uh, arm, uh, in, in my elbow sneezing as quickly as possible. And with that face covering, I actually feel better. You know, if somebody right. wants to give me a look, I'll look up and say allergies, man, you know, like, but um, that kind of teaching responsibility in a way that it shows your responsibility to your kids and how you're helping others and how then and that makes you feel better to me is some of the ways to teach these things versus you shouldn't or you can't or you won't. Right. And at that level, can we get in the idea of hypocrisy? Do as I say, you know, not as I do sometimes towards our kids. And just this past weekend, I did a series of videos for the genius to play to answer parents' questions. And I actually did a segment, a short segment on the idea of masks and what to do. And, and in that, I said, things you can do for masks is you can make it fun for your kids because a lot of parents are thinking their kids might feel afraid. I'm like, no, you as the parent take the lead. You as the parent are the one who lets your kids know, how do I, how do we all work on this together and see that it's just a time in our life. It's not, doesn't have to be scary. You can draw on masks and everybody can make their own face or teeth or things on their masks that they wear. You can go online and find different unique masks for everybody to wear in order if you want to do that. You can even go out when you're out in public, see who can find the funniest mask on the people are wearing. So it's something that you're looking to that becomes something fun, that this helping them to understand why we're all doing this together. And that, yeah, some people may not be wearing masks. However, because I know a lot of teenagers and things say, well, you know, my friends don't have to do this. And my line to my daughter is, you're our child they're not your parent. And, and these are the things we're comfortable with. And we hope you'll understand that we want to help you make choices that will be in the best interest of everyone, including you. And understand that sometimes you mess up. You know, mm -hmm. just uh, Vice President Pence went to the Mayo Clinic, didn't wear a mask and then regretted it, uh, said afterwards about it and talked about it. Understanding that that happens, you know, maybe the person who forgets their mask can't go into that particular store at that particular time or that particular, but we may have to make that sacrifice. But then just, I, I just, I'm, I'm worried about in some ways, social shaming coming about how you are perceived to have handled Corona and, and the fight and the fight against COVID-19 and, and how that's compared, you're compared how you handled it versus others. Is that something that we should think about and be worried about and talk to our family about? Absolutely. I think I, you already see that going around. And we live in a very judgmental culture. And judgment is about having power over people, not power with people. Judgment undermines trust. Judgment creates divisions, not, not collaboration. So in that, I think the thing, you know, I, was, I talked to my daughter about too, is when people are judging you, what are they protecting themselves from seeing? What are their shames, their inadequacies, their guilts? And even one of the things that's been happening is kids are not wanting to log online on some of these classes because now other kids are making fun of their home or their background because it looks like it's in disarray or it looks like it's not as nice a house as they live in. 
people are going to find whatever they can who don't believe in themselves. They're going to find whatever they can to have power over somebody else to judge somebody else. And that's what we have to recognize is other people's judgment is more about them than is it about the person being judged. But we lose that because we get caught in our own shames, our own guilt, our own inadequacies. And that's where we have to recognize our own issues with our own power. Dr. Eric Fisher, thank you so much for helping us navigate some of these stressful times as we continue to enjoy your involvement here with everything under the sun. So today's Zen Cone, I'll leave your listeners with, is gaze at the stars, but walk in the earth. And that, that is the idea of saying, you know, we might have things that we would want to aspire to and see, while we also have to have the realistic appraisals of where we're at now. So know the things you want to work toward. Know the aspirations that you have. Don't give up hope that we'll, that we'll get back to a, an evolved normal, hopefully, and be more aware. And like I said, also be willing to live in the space of reality and what's in all our best interest at this time. Thanks again to Dr. Eric Fisher. His Twitter is at DCTRE. That's at DCTRE, shorthand for Dr. E. And you can catch his daily doses of sunshine on our AccuWeather Network. Also, we thank Ryan Lee from www.rooted.nyc and also lead long-range forecaster Paul Pastelock for being with us in this week's episode. Friends, as the volatile and extreme weather pattern continues through the next few weeks, make sure you're getting the best and latest information to plan your next minutes, hours, or days on your AccuWeather.com app and our website. And for complete coverage of the fight against COVID-19, including updated live snapshots of critical data, go to our website, AccuWeather.com slash coronavirus. For executive producers Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, and proudly representing hundreds of dedicated AccuWeather team members, around the world. I'm Dean DeVore. Until next time, stay safe and well.